you're listening to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and I believe that every one of you has a wealth of potential just waiting to come out. And I'm here to help you reach that potential. So now, here's the Aim to Win podcast. Welcome to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and today I'm delighted to have with me Greg Whiting. Greg helps you heal the anxiety, depression, chronic pain, and trauma that you can't think or talk your way through. He is the founder of Prisma, a framework overlaying trauma, neuroscience, and energy medicine with somatic and mindfulness-based practices. He developed this while healing his own anxiety, depression, and chronic pain that was rooted in trauma. This included unraveling a severe spinal curvature and standing three inches taller today. Over the last two decades, Greg has helped thousands heal through his one-on-one practice and has certified hundreds of healthcare professionals in his methodology. His new online course and community now make healing practical and accessible to all. So welcome to the podcast, Greg. Hey, Wade. Thanks for having me. So I'd like to start off with just one question. <coughs> and that is, tell your story. You know, how did you get to where you are and where are you headed? Sure. Yeah, you know, I developed my current practice, uh, healing practice through my own journey. Um, you know, I have reverse engineered, you know, two decades worth of my own inner process of resolving anxiety, depression, and chronic pain to create Prisma, which now, you know, I'm able to help others, you know, get off of antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds and pain meds and sleep meds. So yeah, I have been really committed to this path, um, really out of my own need. You know, if you met me 25 years ago, I was struggling with really debilitating pain. Um, and I was inches away from antidepressants and pain meds because I didn't know there was any alternative. Um, and by serendipity, I was introduced to kind of the world of alternative medicine and energy medicine, um, which was all foreign to me. Um, I had a friend who um, was actually a massage therapist and she had offered me a massage. And at the time I was living in so much chronic pain that the thought of a massage was just too painful. Uh, so that's when she introduced me to energy medicine and within moments, <clears throat> excuse me, my nervous system just started to kind of unravel and just this chronic holding in my body that was lifelong just started to melt. <coughs> excuse me. So I knew I was onto something. I realized I found something I didn't even know I was looking for. Um, and so that really catapulted me into, yeah, a 20 year journey. You know, I found that a lot of traditional approaches to therapy and healing were really ill-equipped to address how my body had been holding onto trauma, um, you know, amplifying scoliosis and just this chronic pain. So it was really a delight for me to start to find, you know, alternatives that were actually helping me address kind of the, the impact and the residue of trauma stored in my body. Um, and that, that was, um, yeah, a pretty spectacular discovery. And I never thought I'd be in the position I'm in today in terms of helping other people heal. You know, I was living in a very different lane. I was working in the nonprofit world and I was very mission driven. Um, but once I kind of discovered, um, you know, all of this transformation, it was kind of like, who am I not to share this with others? Um, and so, yeah, now I'm really compelled to kind of work with the intersection of healing and leadership, um, kind of from my own experience in my early days in the nonprofit world, I found I was very 
purpose and mission driven, but my pain, you know, was really getting in the way. So I lacked that fulfillment. And so that emptiness and that overwhelm of burnout, just, you know, I was running on fumes and kind of had lost myself. And I think when we lose ourselves, there are no wins. And so, you know, I'm really compelled to help leaders find that sense of fulfillment and wholeness in their leadership. And I think as leaders, we have a unique opportunity in um, our sphere of influence to do good in the world. Um, and I think we're either perpetuating cycles of harm from generational trauma, or we're in a u- unique position to heal, <laughs> um, heal patterns of trauma in the collective. Um, so that's yeah, kind of my bent these days. I think to be a leader is to be a vessel of healing. And we have an opportunity to create and foster psychological safety and trust within our teams and our organizations. And I think that all begins <laughs> within ourselves, um, you know, allowing our own nervous system to land so that we can regulate the collective nervous system. Um, and so that's my story. That's that's excellent. It's uh it really is a you know, I think a good story of changing loss to win. And, uh, and, and I think, you know, there's, there's probably a lot of leaders out there that are dealing with similar kind of losing environment, right? Being lost themselves. Yeah. But, but do you find that are, are leaders aware of this? Do they share this or is this something that kind of keeps, stays buried? I mean, I'd say in the last few years, there's been a growing awareness of kind of the challenges we're facing within our organizations and our teams. And I think it's more apparent that there's a crisis in leadership. So I do think there are more dialogues starting to happen. And I think there are more resources. There is an effort to change culture. I think some of that culture change is happening more on a superficial level, um, not as deep as resolving trauma. But um, I think that's, you know, in the process as well. You know, we reach a point in healing where there's a cost payoff analysis where we, you know, have certain strategies that have helped us get to where we are. Um, And in some cases, those strategies have helped save us through some really adverse life experiences. Um, And those those drives, which are often trauma responses, you know, we're driven by uh, this like fight or this flight response. Um, You know, that starts to catch up with us, and so then we start to feel into the cost and then that signals, all right, is there a new way that I can move forward, right? Um, And so that's what I find a lot of leaders find me, um, you know, not necessarily with an awareness of trauma. I think we think that trauma is often, you know, us being the victim of a violent crime or coming back from a war zone or being a refugee, you know. But in early development, trauma is often not having reliable, consistent care, right? And so in early development, that signals that we may not get our needs met. Um, and so then we start to become very hypervigilant and we start to try to manage and control the environment. And then we start to, you know, adapt into being a perfectionist, right? We start to hide or perform parts of ourselves to get our needs met. So we start to develop this whole identity structure around who we are and who we need to be to be okay and to be safe in the world. So that again, a lot of great things have been built in the world from that drive, um, but at what ex- at what cost? And so, a lot of leaders are finding me when they're starting to kind of feel the the friction of that that cost. And 
realizing that what if we don't have to hide or perform parts of ourselves to lead you know what if who we are informs how we lead and so what if there's space to just have more more presence lead with the power of presence and you know the authority that comes from authenticity yeah say more about that you know i'm really intrigued by the concept of uh, presence and authenticity because you know I, i think a lot of times leaders are taught that the two don't necessarily go hand in hand yeah i mean i think there's a lot of there's a an idea that to be vulnerable is to be weak right and and with good reason in early development that our vulnerability and in present day can be weaponized right right um, and i think that's what we we live in a culture a dominant culture of paradigm that feeds off of fear and alienation and division and so how do we as leaders start to develop more of a a space of that fosters connection that fosters understanding that fosters um humility right i i find that there's something very strong in our humility um Mm -hmm. this humble confidence what if we could lead with humble confidence and what if that's our true strength right and so i think a lot of healing is a rewrite around power instead of power over uh, it's power for and power with um, and it's power within um, and as we locate that power within we're not having to posture we're not having to force we're not having to effort you know there's just more opportunity for us to be present and respond um, instead of react yeah i love that the rewriting power do you find that um when you're working with leaders, do they make that leap easily or is it really hard for them to, to rewrite power, to be vulnerable and humble? Yeah. You know, I think healing, especially trauma, is probably one of the most challenging journeys one would ever take. And I think that's why a lot of people avoid it altogether. Um, and And that looks unique for everyone. You know, I'm just thinking about one of my past clients who ran their own business and you know they were very aware that their success came from that hyper vigilant drive right that pedal to the metal hustle for their worth kind of energy and as they started to heal they started to realize that wow they weren't being driven from that place as much um which started to feel really good they actually started to catch their breath and they felt like they were able to start to relax but when we have these unresolved trauma patterns inside of us, relaxation will start to then signal threat, right? Because it's not safe for us to let our guard down, right? We have to be hypervigilant and on guard 24-7, right? That's what the trauma is telling us, right? That's what's running our body and our brain and our nervous system. So it takes time for us to have a repair experience where actually I'm relaxed and my business didn't fall apart actually i'm relaxed and i am still bringing in clients actually i'm relaxed i took off for the weekend and actually sales are up you know whatever it may be for um but i with this one client in particular it was kind of like fits and starts you know moving into relaxation um, I love the imagery of like a seaplane landing on water in terms of the nervous system you know the seaplane bounces down or lands and then it bounces back up uh, lands and it bounces back up and it really takes a while before the seaplane can finally settle 
And so that's kind of the nervous system as well, right? And so we'll get a taste of, you know, this parasympathetic nervous system rest and digest. But then the brain is like, nope, that's not safe. Come back to fight and flight. Let me come back to the sympathetic nervous system. But then we realize, oh, the world didn't fall apart. I can come down here again. So it's like we need many of these repair experiences that are showing us that the world didn't fall apart. Nothing bad happened. And I'm still able to let my guard down. So then a big piece of that, too, is then we realize that we can still, you know, sometimes life throws us curveballs. And so it may be necessary to put our guard up. But a big part of the healing is to recognize that our guarding need not be our identity. So our guarding can become a function, um, but not the form that we carry all the time. Um, and then we have more choice. So a lot of these maladaptations to stress are defaults when we lose access to our upper brain of logic and reason. So, so much of healing is broadening the window of tolerance. So we gain more access to the upper brain. We're not defaulting to the survival brain. Um, and so there lies more presence and agency and then more choice. Um, so that's a journey. It's, it's not yeah. a one done. It's not an overnight chop process. Yeah, it's, it's reprogramming the brain, right? Yeah. And that requires safety. You know, neuroplasticity is dependent upon safety. So we have to develop enough safety within ourselves to then start to metabolize and process the historic imprints of trauma where we didn't feel safe, right? So that's a paradox too. We develop more safety so we can be with what's not safe. Yeah. <laughs> we develop more okayness to then metabolize what was not okay. Um, and yeah, our brain our imagination literally creates the structure of our brain, right? And then that also will have ripple effects and create the structure of our lives. But again, that's all dependent upon safety because without safety, we're going to continue to default to what we perceive as dangerous or what is dangerous. And we're not really able to scan the field of horizon for possibility, right? We're not able to expand the aperture of our vision for what is generative and life-giving and nurturing we're going to default to kind of the fear the alienation the isolation which is the feedback loop that trauma it wants to keep us in so how does a leader kind of create that environment of safety for himself or herself yeah you know i think there's as just as many approaches to healing as there are people Um, and so, you know, I think there's no right or wrong way to heal. Um, I developed Prisma because I found that there's some pain that we just can't think or talk our way through. So I found energy medicine was really helpful to calm the cardiovascular system, regulate the nervous system, you know, boost immune function. And in doing so that helps to kind of helps us return to our wholeness, right? Where trauma often has us feeling split and fragmented inside ourselves. Um, you know, I like the, the concept of innate wisdom was developed in chiropractic decades ago. But if we have a paper cut, there is a healing mechanism that, um, that heals that paper cut. It sends platelets and proteins and orchestrates all these biochemical transmissions. And that innate wisdom is healing while we're having this conversation, while we're sleeping, So there's a healing mechanism that is helping us maintain balance, uh, even without us having to think about it. So anything that can help us connect to our innate wisdom, because trauma, you know, short circuits the nervous system, and then we start to feel split and fragmented. And so we start to feel like we're broken into pieces. 
So anything that helps us return to wholeness, you know, I find that the somatic and mindfulness-based practices are helping us with the necessary mind training to create space between us and our pain, between us and our wounding, to dissolve identification with wounding, right? And that's the mind training to then shift from pain to possibility. And then the energy medicine is helping to kind of repattern how that's functioning in our physiology. You know, the conscious mind is the tip of the iceberg. It's like 5%. And like, that's what we think we believe, but the subconscious and the unconscious mind is like 95%. That's the underbelly of the iceberg. That's what we really believe. That's what's really driving us, right? And so healing is helping to surface the subconscious and the unconscious mind to bring it to awareness because otherwise, you know, we're, we're living at its expense. Um, yeah. And and that, and that subconscious and unconscious mind is living in our body, you know? So the, our different beliefs and behaviors are, you know, sending feedback loops to our physiological function, to our hormones, and that's then tied into our emotions and our behaviors. So, you know, these beliefs very much are impacting, you know, our physical health, not just mental, emotional. So how do you change those beliefs? Yeah, I find all of these pieces, the energy medicine, the somatics, and the mindfulness is helping us register that we are not our beliefs, we're not our thoughts, we're not our emotions. And so we start to kind of create not only distance, but we start to slow down, right? Because so much of this, we're trauma is often too much too soon, and so or too much too long. And so healing is helping us kind of get some distance and pause so we can start to make sense of kind of these these storylines that have been running on on default right and then that affords us the opportunity to start to flip the script and even consider well is that true can something else be true right so first is just even noticing the thought and the belief or the storyline and then challenging it and i'm not so much uh, in the in the business of creating a new belief per se i find that healing is just helping us dissolve our attachment and the charge to belief um, because i could believe the sky is red it doesn't make it true so i i look at the essence of healing as living even kind of beyond belief right how can we live in just direct experience of life um, so then i don't have to have a belief about this or that i can just have a direct experience of it and that just frees up a lot of energy uh, then we can just live it from a more neutral place so at the end of the day life is neutral but what we attribute to life is anything but so that's how we get in our own way yeah it's interesting because a lot of a lot of what you hear out there is about um kind of taking beliefs that don't serve you and replacing them with other beliefs but what you're saying is get the whole belief filter out of there and be present and in what is you know the neutrality of life yeah and you know i i think it sometimes can be helpful to kind of have an empowering belief versus the disempowering belief just to start to live into a new vibrational possibility but at the end of the day that is going to become kind of a, a set of crutches or training wheels right like and so it may be a useful tool for an interim part of growth um but then what if we need not affix to or attach to that? Because what if even that empowering belief may someday limit us, right? Um, so then 
the, the work is to just live in an ever expanding field of awareness as opposed to uh, a fixed mindset or mantra. Yeah. Oh, excellent. You know, it's a, it's almost like um, maybe the replacement belief is that, you know, replacement belief is that, you know, life is neutral. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how there can be just a, an unburdening of so much energetic charge when we are living in that vibration of neutrality. Yeah. So, so what's the, I mean, what's the first step for a leader that uh, is really suffering from some of this trauma? Yeah. Oftentimes the trauma is telling us we need to go it alone. Um, and cause we've been, you know, we've experienced some breach of trust or some, you know, struggle and breach of power. Um, so it signals to us that, you know, we've got to go it alone. Trauma is often just any experience where we have felt isolated and alone, uh, under supported, you know, organized around fear, you know, as humans, we're not, we're meant, we're not, we're, we're social creatures as mammals, right? We're not meant to live alone and we can't heal alone. We can't do it in isolation. And I think there's a lot of lone wolf leaders who, yeah, are not able to let down their guard. And yeah, you may, <laughs> there's a time and a place, right? And there's, excuse me you know the right communities and forums uh, to get support um and so finding that support right following the breadcrumbs that guide you to um the right mentors the right teachers the right healers the right therapists um the right community settings um and because that's where we start to get a new template right something else can be modeled for us um, so we can come into a more coherent state because um, imprints of trauma are yeah having us left feeling split and fragmented so we we need a template that helps us return to our wholeness you know i love the imagery of um, a symphony orchestra so when we're experiencing health all of our thoughts all of our emotions our memories all of our muscles our tissues our endocrine system you know neurotransmitters are all functioning in a in a harmonic resonance right they're all communicating um and that is creating this musicality of being so the symphony orchestra is just in resonance um and trauma and stress start to short circuit the nervous system and that starts to break down this communication so we start to create a whole lot of noise yeah and that noise is then our 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 symptoms our illness that's you know our behavioral challenges our relationship challenges um and so we need to be in environments that foster uh, a return to musicality a return to harmony right um and so as we locate that and resource it for ourselves then we can become that beacon for you know the people we serve the environment we serve um, you know, and that's what a trusted advisor or a mentor or a healer or a therapist provides, right? We are starting to learn how to regulate our nervous system in relationship to their nervous system, right? Mm -hmm. in early development, that's ideally what should be happening, right? We should be pattern matching to our primary caregivers. Um, but if they lack the, the ability to regulate, um, then we don't, we're not having that modeled for us. Right. And in fact, then we might start to take it on in an attempt to do it for our primary caregivers. 
um, which is keeping us kind of in a, a default of of lack, right? So finding finding those resources and registering that we we can't go it alone, and that can be a hard one for some folks. And so you know sometimes before you know I've had clients who before they're ready to work in a group setting, you know, in my school, they felt like it was just easier for them to work with me one on one, right? And before that, perhaps it was easier for them to read books on mindfulness and healing because it just didn't feel like it was a right entry point to to work with someone one on one. But the sooner we healing happens in relationship, because wounding happens in relationship, right? So the sooner we can find uh, a relational piece, um, and it's more the relationship than the practitioner than the actual practice, right? So there's you know dozens if not hundreds of different modalities and approaches to healing it's more about the person you're engaging with and the trust that you develop in that relationship yeah i think i think it's fascinating that you know part of that experience that relational experience with the the helper is that they're modeling right and so when you look at a team that leader is often the model so, it's kind of, so I think there's a real benefit to them getting it right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, so many leaders that come to me, you know, they, they're, they're leading in terms of the skill and the knowledge base. They have all the right tools to lead. What they are lacking is just the internal awareness, right? And that's a state of being. And that you can't really learn that through reading a book you learn it through practicing right and so that's why you know somatic and mindfulness-based practices it's mind training we are literally training the brain to function differently we're training our nervous system how to um you know come back to a baseline of rest and digest when you know we're getting signals from the environment of danger and threat um and and that's no that's no small feat right um, especially in the world we live in today yeah absolutely so i have one more question before i let you get out of here and that is how do people find you sure yeah gregwhiting.com um, i work with folks one-on-one and i have a, a group um, program where i am basically sharing what is a trauma and neuroscience roadmap i find that for me in particular, I was in, you know, years of healing and therapy without even knowing what my nervous system was. And so, um, and I knew I was on the right track on my healing, but I didn't know where I was or where I was headed. So um, there's an eight week course that lays all of that out. And the seven prisma pillars of the healing system are kind of the drop pins on that map. So you can get very clear understanding of where you are, where you're headed and then all the somatic and mindfulness-based practices or the tools along the way um, to help you do the necessary mind training to kind of move through this trajectory of like pain to purpose, if you will. Yeah. And then the energy medicine component is really the vehicle that helps us dissolve and, and flush out the, the imprints of trauma that are impacting our physiology and our neurology. So excellent. Well, I certainly encourage people to look you up and... I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of benefits to leaders to you know doing this work, and so I really appreciate you taking your time with us today. Thanks, Wade. Glad to be here with you. All right, and thank you for listening to the Aim Twin Podcast. As always, 
like us, follow us, all that good stuff on wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts.